Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. So gear up with the crew as they talk about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, want to welcome you back to the Speckled Truth Podcast. Captain Chris here. Got a really awesome guest uh, from North Carolina, Josh Sutton. And uh, he's got a really interesting story to tell. And it's been uh, really good to get to know and, and kind of understand a little bit more about him and and kind of what his approach is to the North Carolina fishery. But aside from that, um, really, again, his kind of personal testimony, if you will, or story uh, in terms of how he got into trout fishing uh, and things of that nature. So, Josh, welcome to the show, bud. Hey, Chris. I appreciate you having me on, man. Of course, man. So, hey, as a as a listener of the podcast, thank you, first off. Uh, but secondly, man, uh, you've always heard, you know, typically the first question every podcast, which is, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into fishing. Sure. Um, well, I'm 38. I've lived in eastern North Carolina my whole life. Um, I was always just a bass fisherman at these little local ponds and stuff. And uh, I, probably my earliest memory fishing is at a, a reservoir near the house there. We used to have to walk across, just across the spillway to get to the fishing spot. And I just remember catching a bass on one of those little green green grub worms i don't know why that stuck out it might have been my first fish might mm-hmm. not have you know but um fishing's kind of always just been a part of my life my family they always fished you know they came down to the coast and mm-hmm. they'd camp out on the piers at night and fill the cooler up and i think they'd stay all weekend and go home with the cooler to see mullets and spots and stuff like that uh so it's kind of always just been a part of my family and but in my life it, it kind of took a backseat to racing when i was younger me and my dad and my brother, we traveled the East Coast and raced go-karts mm-hmm. kind of on a professional level. And, and it was a lot of fun, man. It was a great way to bond and stay close to those guys. And and we're we're closer today because of it, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I missed that. But in, in 2008, I had a dirt bike. I always had dirt bikes and stuff at home, too, to ride. And in 2008, I was on that bike, and uh, I took a spill. And the bike landed on me, and it it crushed my T11 like 70%. Mm-hmm. So I've got a spinal fusion and just a lot of injuries happened in that wreck. And so I had to quit racing and I had to pretty much quit doing everything that I knew that was normal at the time. And uh, were, were you, were you paralyzed or did, did you have limited well, functionality I, or what? I was, I was never paralyzed. I had a fracture in my lower back that mm-hmm. should have probably led to some, something like that. But, uh, so, you know, somebody was looking out for me in that situation. I had a nice helmet from racing go-karts and that probably saved my life having mm-hmm. that helmet on. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know, that kind of paused my life right there. I was 23, kind of in mm-hmm. my prime. We were doing really good at go-karting and I thought it was going to lead to maybe a, a race car driver kind of gig one day, but. Uh, I'm not complaining, man. That that injury was rough for a while. You know, probably six months or so, I had this upper body cast on, and mm-hmm. I got through it, man. I got a great family, great foundation, and uh, my wife now, 
at the time, I mean, this is 2008, this is 15 years ago. We had probably been dating six months and she didn't run for the hills. So <laughs> that told me she was probably a good one. You know, she stuck around in, in the worst part of my life. And uh, so she's been a continued blessing, man. We, we're doing good now. But yeah, we got through that, that tough part of my life. And I went back to school and got a degree to be a machinist. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I, one day uh, I came down to the coast and went trout fishing with a friend. And uh, we did it with artificial lures. And I just remember holding that first purple, slimy, I had never seen one up close with that yellow mouth and those fangs. And I, I don't know. It just, I don't know, man. I got bit that day. You know, like they say, yeah. you, you get bit by them. And uh, it's been, wow. It's yeah. Just, it's been crazy since that day, you know. I I hear you, man. So that's, uh, that's interesting um, that all it takes is really just one uh, fish to kind of introduce you to that bug. And, you know, they call them silver wonders and all these different, you know, uh, love terms, if you will, for speckled trout. But man, yeah. I will say, um, I kind of echo the same sentiment in terms of, um, how really, yeah, they've just really changed my life, you know, and, and I've been introduced to them since I was, geez, man, like little bitty kid, you know, with my pops, yeah. but, um, in short, man, it just never, never got over it, you know? And so, to some extent we had, you know, doc Bob Weiss on here first season podcast and what I think he's like a 75, 76 year old man, kind of same age as my pops. And yeah. uh, he's still bit by the bug, man. The addiction is real. And, um, but I want to go back uh, a little bit. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about kind of the recovery process where, where was kind of like your headspace at and, and kind of overcoming some of that or, or was, was uh, it just kind of one it step was at rough, a time, man? It was, you know, uh, I just thought my life was over, you know, I was mm -hmm. just in my prime. I was, if I went racing, I was just running the roads with my friends. I, I, ra I drag raced also. I had a fast mm -hmm. car and I was just, you know, just burning those roads up, man. And then from that to, to nothing was, it was mentally very hard. And, uh, you know, if I didn't have such a support system and a, and a great family, I wouldn't have made it, you know? Yeah. No, no doubt, man. And, um, it made me think, you know, talking with, about your wife. <laughs> so in, uh, the reason we ended up getting married admittedly was, uh, my first, uh, second duty station in South Carolina and, yeah. uh, ended up breaking really kind of both arms, <laughs> uh, at the same time. It's kind of interesting, mm -hmm. uh, long story short. Um, and it was, uh, it was being silly, you know, and, my wife was not with us. I was with a, a group of friends, Air Force friends, and ended up breaking, uh, actually it was both wrists, and I had a right radial head fracture, and so I ended up having to go to the emergency room, you know, and so they were less than um, thrilled about my injuries, and so oh, yeah. I was sitting up, and I called my wife, <laughs> who lived in Greenville, and actually we're in Savannah, Georgia. And, uh, she made the drive, man, to come pick me up. So fast forward like a couple of days and I get back to work and my chief, chief Tompkins, uh, chief master Sergeant Tompkins, uh, she's like, you what Lieutenant, you know? And, and, uh, so I told her the story and she's like, if you don't marry that girl, uh, I'm gonna come over there and slap you, you know? And, and yep. it was so funny and yeah, sure enough, man. Um, uh, but it was, it definitely shows a lot of character 
and a lot of love, um, especially kind of when you're in a in a time of need. And when they yep. give unselfishly, it's definitely opens up your eyes to their heart uh, of kind of who they are as people. And so 15 years that we'll celebrate 15 years here, uh, actually next month, uh, 15 years later, man, we're still going strong. So uh, I can awesome, echo man. that sentiment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it was kind of cool. You know, she came into my life at a turning point and I can't, I think it kind of helps her find herself too, because now she's a critical care nurse. Okay. You know, and I think, you know, her living through that situation with me kind of inspired her, you know, to take that next step in her life too. And now she's a great nurse, you know, and she mm-hmm. helps a lot of people, you know, on a daily basis now. So that was pretty cool. So now uh, let's get back to it, right? I mean, pun intended, but uh, going full, you know, speed uh, into kind of trout fishing. You know, what was that transition like from, you know, going and having this life of, hey, man, I'm, I'm all about this, this kind of lifestyle, this life to now. I mean, do you you actually just uh, introduced that you're going to go and be a full time guide. So how did yeah. it go from that to this uh, in such a short period of time uh, and talk us through kind of, you know, some of those steps? Yeah. Um, after that first trip. I don't know, just trout fishing kind of just became, it just kind of overtook my free time. Um, it got me out there on the water and it kind of got me out of the headspace I was in. I mean, I was well beyond the physical recovery and I was on to like a new career as a machinist, but mm-hmm. I was still searching for that something in life to kind of save me from uh, what had been taken away from me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I don't know, getting out there on the water and, and it pushed myself, you know, helped me push myself physically because that's the hardest part of having like a, a back injury or just any kind of physical injury that kind of overtakes your life is to push through it, you know, to keep moving. Um, and fishing did that for me. It was like, no matter how I felt, um, I was going to get up at 2 a.m. and I was going to drive down here and I was going to fish until I couldn't cast that rod no more. And I was going to come home whether I caught fish or not. And just that experience coupled with just my love for nature and the beauty of Mm -hmm. it all, man, it just, I don't know. It changed me and, and I'm thankful to God for it. You know, it was, it was great. Um, it's been a little bit of a problem sometimes, you know, because I like to do it a little too much, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> you know, she don't understand. And, you know, it costs money to, to go trout fishing, you know, and certain times of the year when we burn so much gas, you know, it can get a little excessive, but um, yeah. And now, now I want to do it for, for a profession. Um, mm-hmm. I was a machinist and I was a damn good one, you know, but that, that profession kind of just, it allowed me to push myself, but I kind of mm. really stressed myself at it also, you know? Um, so I guess not, not far into it. I was kind of looking a way out and I've always yeah. been on the fence as to where I wanted to take something that I love like fishing and, and try to make money at it because I know it's going to change the experience for me completely. Um, yeah, but I'm, I, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like 
if I keep just fishing like I do on my own, it's kind of greedy and I want to share what I get to experience with mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I already bring my photos home and I get so many messages and comments about my photos. I just, you know, I'm just trying to bring home, you know, that's, that's part of me trying to bring home that experience to share mm-hmm. already. Um, and I kind of give that away. I don't know how I would make money on it and I don't want to, and I don't want to be a rich man from being a guide, but I want to just try to, you know, make some money at it. And if it, if it becomes unenjoyable, you know, if it takes away from my experience of fishing that much, then I'll just go do something else, you know, but I'm going to try my best to be a great guide and to share what I'm blessed to see, hmm. you know, almost on a daily basis. Now I'm going to try to share that with people that, that, you know, hopefully that were respected like I do. And, you know, um, a big part of being a guy for me is wanting to promote a lot of what the truth promotes and just the conservation side. And, and maybe if I can change a few people's minds, you know, and, and get them to see that beauty that I see when I release those fish that they'll want to do that on their trips after they fish with me, you know? Yeah. Well, man, I, I want to go back though. And you, you mentioned something there, which was, again, kind of changed my life um, in, in all these things, right? And, and I, I've admittedly been messaged, man, by a couple of people battling addiction uh, and battling yeah. uh, a myriad of different things, uh, drug addiction to all sorts of things, alcohol addiction, uh, and, you know, trout fishing is an escape for them. It's a release. And more often than not, people have, have basically like, dude, the reason the resource is so uh, important to me is because, bruh, it it like literally saved me from the deepest part of myself, the darkest part of myself. And, and like, it has more meaning than just fillets. It has like, it's salvation to some extent, right? It pulled me out of like the depths of darkness and brought me to, you know, a place of peace. And that's what it provides to me. And so I can't tell you, man, I'm like it literally at least two dozen people have messaged me over the course of time. Now I know that's not a lot, but it's enough to where people share that same sentiment of overcoming addiction. And it's, it's something as simple as just a friggin' trout, you know, it's crazy. And then, Man, it's funny the timing of this podcast because I was watching, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it was uh, Gerald Swim, Swindle, G-Man, you know, on, a, on the Elite Series. Yeah. Uh, he has this thing, it's called Positive Mental Attitude. And uh, right. he, have you heard about that? No, I know Gerald Swindle is though, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he has this thing, it's called Positive Mental Attitude. And he's kind of the same way, man. He struggled with... Uh, like anger management and all these different things. And, and over the course of like his time and one of the, one of the quotes he had mentioned in the video that I watched of his uh, was basically um, him kind of obviously going on tour and catching a bunch of, you know, fish. And he's now kind of in a twilight of his career and he's sharing his, you know, passion and his positive, positive mental attitude of, of just approaching a new day with, you know, calmness, with peace with positivity, all these different things. And, um, one of the things that he mentions is that 
you know, over the course of time, people have kind of come up to come up to him and, and basically said, Hey man, like your attitude and, and the preaching of that attitude has changed my life. Yep. And he was by, basically like saying, you know, how many people know that I caught 15 pounds that day? Not many. Um, but how many people have come up to me and, and said, Hey man, you've changed my life as a result of X. And he goes, maybe it's, not me choosing bass fishing, but maybe bass fishing chose me to use this platform uh, to to reach people that are maybe struggling with whatever uh, and in overcoming whatever. But it's funny that the common thread there is is it's a bass tournament platform, and so to you know pulling it back to this conversation, you know the struggle that that you've had in your life. It sounds like maybe trout fishing has kind of chosen you um, to and giving you a platform to reach people that are struggling with tough times in their life, setbacks. Um, And then to get back to, and as long as you has a positive mental attitude, a support system, uh, you can get back to, um, yeah, being fulfilled and and, and finding that peace in the world. So I I thought that was really interesting, man. And and sorry to go on that diatribe. Oh, you're fine. Couldn't help but think about it as you're talking. I agree. I mean, I've never heard of that positive mental attitude thing from Gerald, but um, I've kind of have written some of some similar things in some of my Instagram posts when I post pictures because, you know, when I still worked, I sat there and looked at my phone and just wished I was fishing so mm-hmm. bad. And it burned I me def- up. I was so jealous just standing there. And, you know, I'd finally get down there and I'd have all these blocks in my mind and i had to just learn how to let go of the world and like you have a choice when you slip that boat or that kayak in the water you can carry that shit on your shoulder out there with you or you can shed your skin and you can go out there and just fully immerse yourself and it is therapeutic and that's you know it's not just a trout it's it's waking up early it's sacrificing sleep it's it's the gas you spend, it's, it's the sacrifice of time. It's the whole experience, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that kind of pulls you out of this world because this world is full of shortcuts. We just do everything as fast as possible and get it done. And we don't remember it. And when you go out on that water, at least for me, you know, I'm, I'm all in. I, Mm -hmm. I'm, I get in trouble because I forget I have a cell phone out there, but I do it on purpose. I don't want to see my clock. I don't want any outside elements. I want to be out there and just, I'm on the hunt. It's just me and the fish, you know, and it's me and my nose. I'm smelling for Menhaden. I'm looking for birds. I'm, I'm a person again, you know? Yeah. It gets you out of this shell that you have to freaking live in because society is so messed up in so many ways. And, you know, we have to get into these, you know, you have to kind of just get into these ways where you work and you just don't think about it and you just do and you get through parts of life and that's just life. That's being an adult. That's how it is. But an experience that you can give yourself in nature, like speckled trout fishing, is what saves us. It's, I don't I don't have an addiction problem, but I have had people message me also, Chris, that are obviously not in a good way. And and I've lost a buddy in the last year to addiction. And I mean, I've lost more than one, but 
the one I'm talking about, I trout fished with a lot. And, mm-hmm. You know, he used fishing the same way as we do to get away from that. And, you know, he's young and he just made a mistake and he's not here anymore. But, uh, yeah, you know, where yeah. I'm, you know where I'm going, man. This, this do, is a man. bigger thing, man. I don't, I don't know why I'm sitting right here talking to you right now. You know, well, if you told this. me five years ago that, you know, it would happen because I just, yeah. Well, it honestly, though, um, the reason we're sitting here, right, is because we're supposed to be. Uh, yeah. And then also, too, if you'd have told me five years ago, I'd be having a podcast. And then not only that, but like talking to some uh, ridiculously uh, interesting and amazing uh, legends of this game, right? And having conversations with them, I would have never in a gazillion years believed that. Um, but again, I go back yep. to, uh, I think one of the approaches that we've taken is obviously it's with the purity, man. It's like the purity of fishing and, and getting back to the basics of it, right? Putting more sport into sport fishing is what McBride says and, and all these different things. And, and I love that because we can share that common thread talking about line conditioner, hook sizes, you know, yeah. it's thinking about that next bite that drives us in and really brings us together. Um, you know, it binds us together as a community in getting back to it, you know, talking about fishing, you know, when I'm doing my talks and stuff like that, you know, I, I actually say this, um, and it's funny that, you know, and not to get on a, on a biblical theme here and a religious theme here. Um, is that, man, when, when I do my talks and stuff like that, I want people to feel like to some extent an experience. And so like, I try to, I try to talk like the trout fishing gospel where yeah. Yeah, I'm not preaching a gospel, but like what I'm trying to do is, is I love it so much that I want you to feel that I want to be able to like, not only tell you about jerk baits and how they work and, and maybe how, how to approach different areas and the nuances of fishing, but instead at the end of that discussion, um, if you can kind of walk away knowing um, that the fishery is way, it has way more value um, than just yep. meat in a freezer, then we, we've gotten somewhere. And, and so um, it's cool, man, to kind of kind of circle back up with, with you on the podcast. And yeah, I wasn't implying that you, you had an addiction or anything like that. And hopefully I didn't take it like that, man. No, but it, yeah. you know, you know, having a, having a physical injury can lead, you know, mm-hmm. they, you know, it can lead to stuff like that very easily. You yeah. know, it can send you down a, a bad path and thank God I didn't choose that because I definitely ran around with a rough crowd when I was younger and I could have chose to just throw my life away and sit there and sulk and, be mad at God and say, why did you do this to me? And all my friends are out running the roads, having a good time, but I really didn't miss out on nothing but getting in trouble. You know, mm-hmm. and I was, he was already putting me in the mindset that I needed to be in to, to go to the next stage of my life. And I'm, you know, I can see that now it took me a little while to get over it, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm there now. I'm, I'm ready. I'm focused. Well, now you'll have people, literally on your boat and you'll have a captive audience uh as a guide with with your clientele to have these meaningful conversations like we're having today right to maybe interact with a young man or a young woman or a family or 
uh, a father or whatever it is and just have those conversations cut up of course have fun put you know catch the fish and stuff like that but oh yeah really get to know kind of your clientele and and uh kind of yeah sh- share your testimony share your conviction uh with people and that's that's what i really love man and uh about you know you guys and, and those who are in the guiding profession is that and you know joe prado and i were talking about it <laughs> Uh, Brett Sweeney, like, man, when you're out there, you're kind of like everybody. You're a doctor, you're uh, yeah. a therapist, you're, you're, you're actually a pig, you know, guide all these different people. Um, and so you're kind of a master of all things. And uh, that's what's cool about it, man. That's what makes you guys so unique and, and especially doing it in the elements and getting to enjoy sunrise or even the crappy conditions, right? Uh, I'm still yeah. stuck in an office, sadly, and, and wishing I was fishing, but You'll be out there, man, and, and taking that leap of faith. I, I commend you for that, dude. Yeah, it's definitely been a leap of faith, and it's just it's great to have my wife's support on such a leap. Um, we've we've done well, you know, for ourselves, and we've worked very hard the last few years to be in this position. So we have definitely earned it. But um, it's going to take a lot more hard work over the next few years, and a lot of being smart with with how we do things. And um, but I'm I'm just. I'm ready, man. I've been thinking about it for too long. I'm just ready to ready to do it. I've I've already done about, I think I've had six or eight trips already. Um, I've had Mister Mister uh, the excuse me Mister Keith Nuttall. I've had him down oh, from yeah. Virginia twice, which is a pleasure, man. He's he's just he just loves it, man. You know, he's just he's a pleasure to fish with, and he's a wealth of knowledge about not just trout fishing, but just all things on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, so, That's amazing, man. Now yeah. you went with you went with Kyle. Yeah, uh, we went down to Shandy to Biloxi to Shandy. Oh my God, that was beautiful. It, you messaged <laughs> me though, and you like you you were like, dude, I was like out here pondering and thinking. You went with your yeah, you went with your wife and yeah, and uh, that it sounded like that was like maybe the the tip tip of the iceberg, or or rather the the last uh, yeah the last uh, decision or thought that you had in terms of like going full tilt in it. It sounded like, yeah. So our boy Kyle has been messaging me and kind of, kind of pushing me. You know, I think he's he knows that I've been on the verge of, of letting the cat out of the bag or whatever about this guide service and really just going for it. And you know, um, we didn't just go fishing down there. I, we went on a vacation. You know, we fished one day and we caught tons of redfish. Uh, our friend Corey Hudson, he jumped on, and we had a guy named John McQueen and Justin. I can't remember Justin's last name, but. Yeah. We had a great trip, but Corey got the only trout. And she was a big one, though. She was probably five and a half pounds. Um, and we caught tons of redfish, but we got to wade and see all of that beautiful island out there. And just, I've, I've never wade fished before other than like jumping out of my bay boat in this muddy Carolina water and, <laughs> and walking around, um, you know, putting the waders on and getting out in the grass and seeing the yeah. schools of sheephead and the redfish. I mean, there's these aren't small redfish these are 40 plus inch redfish just swimming around you out there it was it was an experience and my wife gets she gets stuck in the mud and she's out there get we get her out of the mud and then uh we're taking a break eating our sandwich on the boat and she starts screaming and she's evidently has sat down in a in a fire ant hill up there on the bank and when she tries to use the restroom oh it was my just God. yeah it was a Oh man, it was just fun. Like, yeah, we really enjoyed our time. And then we got back on land and we stayed in Ocean Springs and we kind of went on like a little historical tour there. And 
tried to just get a feel for the area. You know, we, we had a good trip. We met Kyle the next day and ate lunch at one of the casinos. We had never been to a casino before. But uh, yeah, it cool, was man. great. That, that whole experience kind of, I don't know, man, it did. It, it helped a lot of things click in my mind. And, and the long drive, I think, there and back, just I was fired up when I got back. and I got the ball rolling. I got you, man. Well, all right. So you had mentioned you obviously never been wade fishing, but that's yeah. not y'all's forte, right? So the North Carolina fishery, tell us a little bit about your fishery and how you uh, target maybe some of those bigger fish in that fishery. All right. So, yeah, I mean, the Pamlico Sound is, is large. I don't know how many square miles it is, but it has two main rivers off of it, the Pamlico and the Noose River. And uh, these rivers pretty much face east to west. You know, they're a little bit on an angle, maybe more northwest to, to southeast kind of facing, but um, they're a long ways from an inlet. Um, the towns up at the head of both rivers, New Bern and Washington, are I'd say at least 50 miles from an inlet. So wow. it's a long way. So we've just mm-hmm. got a wind-driven tide. Um, so that's that's kind of how we fish up here. You know, you look at the wind forecast, and at least I do. I look at the wind forecast, and I'll pull out Google Maps, and whatever area I'm fishing, I kind of go ahead and look at what banks the wind is going to be blowing down, and I know what points are going to be facing into the wind, and so when I get out there, I already know kind of how I'm going to set up and fish and fish these points. But um, it's a lot of shallow for me. It's a lot of shallow flats around deep water. Um, right now it's the dead of winter, so um, our fish they come way up these rivers. Um, some of these rivers are almost thirty feet deep in spots, and so the fish they come up and hide. They've got lots of bait and lots of deep water, and that gets them away from a cold stun mm-hmm. um, i think that's one reason you know but the main reason is just the crazy amount of bait that comes up in that deep water in the rivers um so right now they're they're kind of creeping out the water's been on the warm and um so the flats nearby that deep water have kind of been you know where to look for a big a bigger fish this time of year um Y- y'all get a lot of tide? Y'all get a lot of tide or no? Not really, Chris. I mean, that's... You, you said know, mo- mostly wind-driven it's and mostly insulinity. wind-driven. And, and uh, I mean, it's been very salty up the rivers the past mm-hmm. couple of years, more so than, I think, in decades past. Um, and we've had a lot of really clear ocean water up farther inshore than I've ever seen. Um, but I've only been doing this about 12, well, about 14 years now. Um, but yeah, we don't really have a tide, um, the closer mm-hmm. to the inlet you get, we do, I think there's maybe a, a two foot, two to four foot tide in Moorhead okay. city, the closest inlet. Um, uh, but yeah, up, I'm, I'm a river rat, you know, I, I try to not, I ain't gonna say I try to not fish the tidal stuff. I just don't have the experience there. Mm-hmm. And I like the, what I like about the river is because it's not so tidal, you're looking at the other elements like the majors and minors and the rising and the falling of the pressure and wind changes and you know fronts coming and going to to set you up and Mm -hmm. if you fish one spot and it's just dead because of whatever whatever one of those reasons you know you can crank up and run 20 miles on the boat or put it on the trailer and 
and haul it just a little ways down the road and you're in a another fishery <laughs> oh wow and and it might be turned on over there you know i talk mm-hmm. to friends all the time that fish up in the pungo river and they had a stellar day and i'm just 15 miles south boat ride and yeah it's dead I haven't had a bite all day long and they're up there just throwing big ones back you know and it's just because that river might fish well on a southwest wind and on my side there's no moving water because all the trees are blocking that southwest yeah. wind you know um and that's the thing man because we don't have a tide if you can't find some moving water you're gonna have a hard hard time fooling one of these fish um for me it makes the it makes because we're fishing creeks and they're not they're not wide and they got points and curves and stuff and if the water's moving, you know, the creeks look different. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's just still, it all looks the same. But if that water gets moving in there, it's moving across these edges and these points, and you can kind of set up and you you start to be able to pattern where these fish are going to set up at, you know, with, with the certain wind directions and stuff. And um, so, yeah, if I hardly try to get on the water if it's not blowing at least 10 miles an hour that's crazy but i hate those bluebird clear days when it's not blowing it's just it's frustrating yeah uh, <laughs> you got well, to shoot. really you know uh, scale down on the size of the thing. i mean you can you can catch fish on those high pressure yeah. days of course you just go when you can and, and you make it happen and um if you only pick the best days to go with the best conditions you're not going to learn that much you know you've yeah. got to go push and and fish those crappy conditions. And, and that's, that's something that, um, there's something to be said for that. I, I'm with you. I'll fish uh, a wide array uh, of, of environmental conditions. You know, my preference is, is it's windy, but not like crazy windy overcast kind of raining. Obviously, you know, you get those conditions that is just prime time, big trout stuff. Right. Yep. But this year I will tell you, I've fished some of that. Um, where you think, I mean, they'd be chewing a prop off the freaking boat, man. And they're just, they don't, uh, and and those have been actually some of my tougher days. Um, but on the flip side of that post frontal, right when that front pushes through, which is crazy to me. And I've never had success like that this year. They're not having, or this year, uh, that I've had in years past. But the point is, is, um, post frontal this year almost like day after, maybe two days after when that wind settles and then starts to shift maybe out of the, from the north to the east and then maybe curve back out of the southeast. Once it kind of makes that switch, bro, I mean, it's it's like lights out. And it's yeah. pretty pretty clear, pretty sunny days. Maybe if you get, you know, partly cloudy conditions, most of the time there's really no clouds. And, yeah. and those have been the days that have been really the ticket. But I've seen now the gambit of – bite windows in both of those to include actually uh, this past Sunday where it was really a struggle. I mean, when I got out there, I had insane high hopes. I did know it was kind of prefrontal, um, but it was kind of postfrontal too. It was kind of weird where they're, they're starting to stack up this time of year. It's winter time. Yeah. Uh, but it, but in short, um, it was kind of one of those things where it was kind of settling out, but it was only going to be brief because it was going to start picking back up again because we had another front rolling through. And so, um, man, the early, early was real tough when that wind was super low fishing again in a, in a low tidal complex like Baffin 
And then all of a sudden that wind switches and it was basically like north, northeast and it started to kind of come back around and then basically it's hoofing now out of southeast right now. But um, right when it did that and it started cranking, man, like 10, we're talking 10, 15 miles an hour, that bite went and it coincided, thank God, with like moon underfoot. And so it was fire. I mean, the bite was was really good and it were really good classes of fish. But again, if you were to look around uh, conditions-wise, you'd be like, okay, dude, you're post front. You got a, a pretty heavy wind out of the north. It's bluebird skies. Like, there's no way I'm not going fishing. That's going to be a terrible day. Well, until you get out there and experience those conditions, that's when you can start to kind of see and draw from those experiences for future trips of how you're going to attack certain situations. So uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly, man. I'm- I, you know, we all want to fish those days when it's just supposed to happen. And last Friday was that day. I mean, the pressure was already low and falling more. We had a blanket above us. You know, you couldn't see the sc- the sun at all. Um, perfect wind. Just had the water chopped up just right. And I just, I got there and caught one fish about 25 inches right to start with. And the major was really early that morning. So I caught that fish right at the end of the major. And then I didn't catch crap the rest of the day. I ended up going back because I was hurting at about four. I, I like mm-hmm. threw the towel in and I was like, man, and they just, they were not on anything that day. They, besides the majors and minors, I guess. And then yeah. it's a full moon right now. So if you look at uh, on my app, the, the highest energy is in the middle of the night right now. And it's been super clear. You can see all the stars at night. So uh, my, my guess is that they just fed, you know, at night yeah. and they were kind of finishing up when I got there and they just took it easy during the day. Um, but, uh, I had a friend come down last weekend and we were just going to fish hell or high water. I mean, he hadn't been in a while. He needed to get on the water and I said, well, we're going to go and we're going to freaking throw top water all day because that's, what's been catching big fish. I mean, it's just, it's been king lately. I know other fish, other big fish have been caught on other things, but for me and my circle, it's been, throw a top water like your life depends on it and you're going to get about four hits that day but they're going to be the ones <laughs> that you yep. want you know and uh so last saturday it was blowing i mean we slept in a little bit because it was seriously gusting up to 50 that night here hmm. <laughs> and uh we we're fishing way back in this creek thank god because the pine trees are really tall and we still got there about 9 a.m and um just bluebird skies gusting if I didn't have a power pole on the boat, we wouldn't have been able to fish. And uh, you had one direction, you could just blast with the wind. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, my buddy got, he caught a 27 incher at lunchtime. It's his biggest trout by far. Smashed that top water. I mean, just scared the crap out of both of us because it was slow. We just knew it was going to be. But um, yeah. I got home and got to looking. And, and uh, I always look. You know, when I catch a fish over 23 or 4 inches, I always get home and I'll pull up the bite times on my pictures and compare it to the majors and minors of the day. Or I'll compare it to the pressure change of the day or whatever. And that fish bit as soon as the pressure started rising that day. Mm-hmm. So it's like I learned a little bit because, for one, if he hadn't have come down, I probably would have just laid in that day and I never would have seen that fish. But I always... You know, I'm still very new to this, man. I'm not no trout expert, no professional. I just, and one of those guys that has 
ate a lot of time on the water and I try to keep track of it. And so, yeah, that day I learned a little something maybe, and maybe it'll never happen exactly like that again. You know, when I, yeah. I live on the water now, I live close, but when I, you know, two years ago, I used to have to drive two, two and a half hours to a boat ramp and uh, I'd fish and the whole drive home, whether it was a good ride, I mean, whether it was a good fishing trip or not, I was going through my mind, what was, what was really a clue that day? What was really mm-hmm. a pattern and what was just dumb luck? Because a lot of fishing, unfortunately, or fortunately for my, probably fortunately for me, a lot of fishing is dumb luck. We're excited to introduce a new Texas-based sponsor, Hook and Bullet Purpose-Built Optics. Recognizing all our gear is purpose-built and high-tech, the guys at Hook and Bullet got tired of wearing fashion-driven quote-unquote fishing sunglasses with antiquated lens technology. And because chasing monster trout along grass ledges and potholes is different than pitching a bait to billfish, they've partnered with Zeiss to scientifically formulate lenses to optimize your specific pursuit. Let's face it, we spend a lot of time and money looking for that big bite. So do yourself a favor and check out hookandbullet.life, that's dot life, backed by a 30-day fishing guarantee. You're sure to find a pair of purpose-built optics to help you maximize every opportunity. Down South Lures has been making lures for the inshore angler for years now, and it's easy to see why. From their four-inch Southern Shed to their much larger DSL Supermodel, to the three inch burner shed, their versatility is really in every angler's arsenal. Better yet, they're actually made here in the USA as well. So support this Texas brand that supports you, the fisherman. And next time, go check out the hashtag swims in a fall action of a down south floor. Real Sportswear humbly started making shirts for a few local fishermen. Rooted in simplicity and utility, Reel's minimalist approach is a reflection of what binds the fishing industry together. Now found throughout many coastal retailers, their lineup of comfortable and functional gear aims to make your time in the water a success. So next time you're gearing up, wear what guides wear and consider Reel Sportswear. Despite its unique name, Stinky Pants Fishing has been making wade fishing gear for the Texas angler for years. Located here in Texas, they make anything from boga floats to boxes, stringers to wade fishing straps, really anything that the inshore angler needs to make their time on the water more efficient and more effective. So check them out at stinkypantsfishing.com and get some equipment to make you a better wade fisherman. I want to welcome Waterloo Rods as our season three's newest sponsor. Located in Victoria, Texas, Waterloo builds some of the most functional rods for any inshore application. Whether you're in the market for a carbon mag, an HP light, or a slam mag, or their salinity series, definitely check them out. Also, check out their Waterloo Pro Shop, which carries most, if not everything, that the inshore angler needs here along the Texas coast. So next time you're in the market for a rod, definitely check out Waterloo Rods, and you might as well fish the best. Mirror Lure is an iconic brand found in almost every inshore angler's arsenal. From their 17 or 27 MRs, to the mirror mullet or the top dog, even their soft plastic lineup, as well as the Paul Brown series fat boys. These lures have been trusted by many anglers across the Gulf Coast and beyond. So next time you're out there looking to fire up a bite, remember, tie on a mirror lure and turn on the bite.
Texas Custom Lords and the original Custom Corky are back again for Season 3 sponsors and we couldn't be more appreciative. These lures and colors, which are produced by some of the most renowned anglers up and down the Texas coast, have been producing for decades. So whether it's a Double D or a Fat Boy Floater, and Plum Nasty, Texas Turnip, just to name a few, remember next time you're looking for that next big bite, the big girls aren't colorblind. I disagree with that, uh, mainly because, uh, I, although I appreciate your humility, man, I, I do, and I think most people will, that'll kind of resonate, but um, no, nah, man, I mean, it. There, I think that's what separates the really, really good ones uh, from the mediocre ones, and then certainly from those who are beginning, right, which they're, they're getting there, but those who are truly passionate about it, um, it never leaves the mind, right? I mean, you yeah. always... I can think back just two days ago, you know, of, of what was going on and, and kind of really what I've come up with was, man, it was one of those situations, dude, I mean, an absolute ton of bait and I haven't thrown a jerk bait and caught him hard in a jerk bait in, in maybe a month and a half. And normally this is the time of year I'm, I'm doing pretty well, but that heavy Dean's been raining supreme and during some t- tougher bite windows, I'll, I'll switch over to a jerk bait. I'll, I'll kind of keep him going a little bit, but they'll, it'll kind of fizzle out. Uh, but between heavy dines and, and soft dines, soft dine XLs, man, it's been really good. Uh, and so, but dude, a ton of bait. I mean, mullet everywhere. And it was so frustrating because the mullet were, were certainly present. But aside from that, man, you could hear them like getting slurped on. You could hear those oh, yeah. <laughs> telltale, like, you know, just joop, you know, and, and um, it's maddening because you know fish are there. And you're like, all right, I got to figure this out, you know? So clearly they're here. Clearly they're not biting my, my stuff. So what am I, what am I throwing? I was, I started basically with a little slick and then I was trying to bounce a jig on them. I threw the heavy dine, nothing. Uh, and I kind of started cycling through some baits and I'm like, you know what, dude, let me, let me go to a smaller, uh, jerk bait and then kind of just sit it in front of them. Because what I learned way back in the day was when we get like these, like these little, uh, rain minnow hatches. Uh, uh-huh. or when a, when a shrimp were heavy in the, in the fishery before this like trawl season and stuff like that, when we would have a lot of bait in a complex in Louisiana, I hate to say this, but that's when a pop and cork was phenomenal because when you can twitch that bait and that bait's sitting amidst all this other bait, it makes such an easier meal because it's yep. literally not moving. And it, it's really almost like, by it just sitting still is giving it the most action because there's so much action around it sit, sitting still is like standing out and it's a strike indicator for those fish. And so I'm like, all right, let me switch over to jerk bait. Let me hit it down to them, boom, 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 bang it down to them, pause it. And then it was on a pretty pronounced pause. And it was like the first one I hooked uh, actually first couple, they were like back hooked, you know, like clearly yeah. not wanting to feed, but they ate, and I'm thankful because it was, a, again, one of those little clues. And that's why I love trout fishing. One of those little clues. And then, like, you go three or four casts, catch another one. You know, the middle hook's on the freaking top of the head. I'm like, okay, <laughs> clearly they're not eating, but they're here. And, and I'm getting bit, and so I'm, I'm starting to build a little bit of confidence. And so now I'm like, all right, let me – I was kind of casting a little bit more with the wind. And so I'm like, you know what? Let me just try to fight this a little bit. Let me cast it kind of in the wind, get my rod tip down, 
keep that slack out and just bang it down to the you know bottom and let it float back up. And I really never really felt the bite. I would bang it down and the line would go tight. And when I go to start my next jerk complex or cadence, boom, boom, boom. And it'd be there. You know, they'd just be sitting yeah. on it. And I'd set the hook, man. And it would come up for it to move. When that happened, and I, I kind of figured that out, man, all of a sudden those both back hooks, man, were like in the mouth, you know, with the front treble kind of sticking out of the cheek. Uh, and then, you know, that 27 and a quarter that I posted, man, would just jump and completely crawling crazy. I mean, that actually, she wasn't even hooked. The back end of the bait was wedged in like that corner piece. Oh, and then wow. that front was like down, yeah, like in the throat. And so when I like unhooked her, I didn't even unhook her. I just literally like lodged the bait out of her mouth and, and it came out. <laughs> uh, so, but dude, when they're eating it that hard, clearly you cannot mimic something they like any better because that tells you but until you pay attention to those little subtleties that's yeah. when that's when you start changing the game in your own game which is seeing what goes on and now you draw from that experience in future trips so that's to your point which was man i never would have gone uh, and now that i've gone now i can pull from that as i go forward certainly guiding but just fishing in general yeah I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of people that fish, and a lot of people kind of just spot fish, and they, they go out yep. to a spot that they were told, True. and they throw a bait that they were told. And for one, that's not as fulfilling, but you're not learning anything. Um, you, <laughs> my, know. you know what my dad used to say to that? I'm sorry to cut you off. No, you're my fine. Dad would, my dad would say, uh, um, uh, oh, gosh, he would say uh, – don't just read about the news, son. You go get out there and make the news. Get out there and, and make it. I love that. And so it was to that point, which was, don't be, don't be fed information. Get out there, use your knowledge, and then basically, you know, you can figure it out yourself. Go make it, you know, and, yeah. and kind of put that shenanigans aside. Yeah, you can take it as a data point, but don't preach it as gospel. And that's what I feel, which is what you were saying, was most people – Oh man, they're biting over here. Okay, all of a sudden there's ten boats over there. Well, shit. Now that there's ten boats over there, that fit that spot <laughs> might fish differently. You know, so yeah. if that's what you're banking on, bro, you're lost. You know, and that's what I think a lot of people. Um, I say a lot of people, and that's a generality. But it's a, yeah, the good but... guys, the good, the good trout anglers, man, they'll they'll figure that out pretty quick. Yeah. It's kind of like a lone wolf mentality. You know, I want to be out there. I mean, I, I talk to people. I like to have friends in fishing, but when I'm on the water, I kind of just, you know, I just want to go do my own thing and learn things my own way because it's not like that information is bad, but that information is only relevant on the day it happened. Yep. In those that, moments. So that's a good <laughs> quote right there. It's only relevant in the day it happened. Um, yeah. But hey, I want to ask you, so uh, for context, right? Because uh, again, maybe some, uh, certainly people in the Northeast know of you, uh, and certainly folks uh, that follow Speckled Truth, I, I feel like know, you know, your name and Josh Sutton, but maybe some of those folks who haven't, you know, give us a little bit of story, man, in terms of, you know, maybe some of the bigger trout catches that you've had and kind of walk us through maybe some of those days. Um, I clearly remember the first big trout I caught. Um, it was on my kayak. The first Actually, the first three trout I caught over 27 inches were on my kayak, and uh, it was it was rainy November, December days, perfect 
you know, perfect weather, slight wind. And, um, and of course I was throwing a topwater lure, man. Um, I get in these creeks and I just try to be stealth. I don't have any electronics. All I have on my kayak is me and a paddle and I have an anchor trolley, you know, and I try to just be stealth. And, um, the first big trout I caught back here, uh, actually, my dad was with me in the kayak. He had never been on a kayak, in, and, and in not, the kayak. He, not in my kayak, but he was oh. in a he was in he was in another kayak. Yeah, and uh, that fish, I don't know. He he just wasn't thrilled about being in a kayak at all. He just he did it to appease me because I knew he knew I wanted to. And uh, yeah. It was crazy. It was right at sunset, and we were working smaller topwater baits because it's really not topwater time in November or December. You know, I can make it happen, like kind of like I am right now. But you know, most people are throwing other baits, and uh, I don't know, man. It was right at dark, and it just had quit raining, and I was we were we were paralleling docks because in unfortunately, I don't want to get into this a lot, but North Carolina still allows gill nets. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the creek I was in, it was getting hit pretty hard. So these fish were tied up to structure and tied up under these docks, and you wouldn't really catch a fish unless you you beat these docks down. And mm-hmm. that day, <laughs> I don't know, man. We got in there and got quiet. And we hadn't hardly caught any fish, and we were getting ready to call it a day. Dad's like, he's over there yawning. He's ready to go, <laughs> <laughs> and and all of a sudden, boom, just. And it, it went crazy. And that fish was 29 inches at eight pounds, 11 ounces. Um, mm. <laughs> and I, I don't, I'm probably to this day, that was the heaviest trout I've ever caught. Um, it was ridiculous. Man. And to have dad there to kind of net help me, he didn't help me net it, but he helped me get pictures of it. And the pictures are terrible because it was dark. It was pretty <laughs> much at, at dark. But that was cool. That was a really special experience to have dad there with me for that. And, um, would have, um, now you're, I mean, that's one thing I've noticed about you is that you are like the trout water, I'm sorry, the trout water, the top water whisperer, man. I mean, that's, that's kind of like your forte. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I told Keith Nutt all the other day, cause they came down wanting to fish for top water and we caught fish on top water, but I was like, the, the fishing kind of got tough that day. And I was like, you know, I just want to come out here and, and sling top water like a caveman. Cause it's really not that hard. You sling it and either they bite it or they don't. But if you sling it all day long, man, you're going to get that. I don't know. That's just in my heart. If you sling that thing enough, you're going to get the quality bite that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, that's just how it is. And there's so many ways you can do it. Like all these jerk bait techniques and all the ways that we, you know, we use jig heads on soft plastics and stuff. You can do that much with top orders. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's crazy, but it's just, it's something I love, man. I just love that explosion. Um, and I think I, I secretly love the high risk of how many you're going to lose because you are, you know, you're going to lose probably 50% of them, of the blow ups you get on top. Mm-hmm. Um, What's your go-to <laughs> top water? Um, lately it's been a skitter V in mm-hmm. pretty much any color. And that's another thing I kind of argue with my friends about. I mean, I've seen one day where I could tell top water color worked, <laughs> but most of the time it's just, it's the sound and the cadence, you know, yeah. and that's. Um, Why skitter V? I, I don't, I think it's just versatile. It works in a lot of conditions. It works when it's 
almost too windy to throw a top water. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just easy. It works on on the chop, um, and it's and it's not super loud, so it's it's quiet enough that it works on a little bit of a, a calmer, slicker day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it gets back to I'm not sure who said it. Probably you a thousand times on the podcast, but you're going to catch more fish on what you're throwing. You know, I mean, that's just that's yeah. what's going to work is <laughs> what you got in the water. So. Well, for me, man, I mean, that's probably the weakest part of my game in in, in full transparency, man, mainly because uh, I'm unlike you. I don't enjoy the high risk uh, landing. And so I've lost, you know, more than my fair share of bigger fish that have eaten at top water. Now, yeah. to, it, it'll never leave my box, you know, mainly because I, and I will throw it. I'll mostly throw it as a search bait. You know, my biggest trout that I've ever caught came on top water. But um it admittedly it's not my my best part of my game because i just feel like i've missed more fish and more opportunities so i would like a little bit better strike profile in the column like a double d or something like that so if i'm throwing like top water and most of my friends and they're catching on top water i'm i'm probably throwing like a double d maybe a shallow you know diving jerk bait or something like that uh like a demigi slim jack or something like that but all these different uh, profiles where you can, you know, high float, just get it right below that surface where you still get some of it. You don't get the explosion, but you see the swirl and a flush and set the hook and they're immediately up, you know, and, but I feel like, man, my connection to land ratio is, is much higher, but, um, that's, that's why I'm asking these questions because yeah. I probably, I'm probably, hopefully I'm not the only one out there that struggles with, you know, uh, my top water, um, no, you know, no, you definitely not. I can't. Yeah, it's just. I mean, you got to have fresh hooks. You got to have. You got to be on top of your game for sure mm-hmm. when you're top water. And I mean, it's. But it's just different. I I don't know. I mean, I have thrown the kitchen sink at them lately, man. And as soon as I throw that top back out there, it's it gets yeah. blasted. <laughs> you know, between the years, um, man, it's confidence. It, it is. It's just that's right. It's a confidence thing, you know. I mean, it's just, it's exciting to do it, you know, but I mean, I love throwing a double D I have already, I've probably retired three truth color double D's because they were so tore up that, you know, they get just mangled from catching so many fish. But, um, lately everything I've thrown has gotten a smaller class of fish besides mm-hmm. a stinking top. And I just, I wish it won't that way. My wrist and my elbow is tired of throwing a, <laughs> a skitter V. I promise you, it like to twitch, twitch paws a little bit for a while, but yeah, it just ain't been That's working funny. for me. Yeah. That's cool. Hey, I wanted to, um, I want to kind of close out a little bit, uh, but, uh, cause I want to leave some time for this, but man, talk about like the volume of citations that we're seeing from North Carolina. Uh, have you guys seen a little bit of an uptick and is that maybe a oh, sign God. of, of good things coming, you know, in North Carolina. I know there's a lot of, a lot of conversations about gill nets and certainly trying to get those out. And all right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I want to talk go about this. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I definitely want to talk about this, but I don't want to get, you know, too far into the, into the politics and stuff of it, but there definitely is, um, there's a problem, but it's hard to say there's a problem when we're catching, you know, so many enormous fish right now, but, um, 
So the reason why, I, in my opinion, why we've had such an uptick in just citation fish is because of it kind of started a summer or two ago when we had a drought. And it's kind of been almost a drought since then. And I, I mentioned it earlier where we've had clear salt water, inlet water, yeah. all the way, you know, 50, 60 miles from an inlet, dude. Um so that has really changed our fishery and I, it, you know, it made it tough to fish down in the marsh the past couple of years in some of my stomping grounds. I mean, I had a really tough time finding summer trout this past year, even though, I mean, we caught some big ones, but we didn't get numbers because, um, all these fish were up river and, uh, you know, there's a lot of grass, there's a lot of deep water up river and that mixed with all that salty, super salty water, man, it just, it kept all the fish up there. And um, like I was mentioning earlier, also our two rivers kind of face east to west and they have a net band about halfway up both of those rivers at the ferries. There's, you know, a ferry that crosses each river, the DOT. Um, and from that ferry west, both of them, they can't set any gill nets at all. And it they did it for striped bass. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a striped bass closure up the rivers. Um, they were being overfished, I guess, what they say. So uh, that has been really good for our trout fishing because mixed with that super salty water upriver and that gillnet band, they've had a chance to get upriver and get in those deep holes in winter and not be, you know, in danger of a cold stun or, or a porpoise. Um, I mean, they have no real natural enemies out there besides a darn river otter and a cormorant. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's, it's kind of been coming for a couple of years, you know, this, this big fish kind of spring, early spring we're already having. Um, so yeah, man, the bait and the amount of fish that stayed up rivers and wintered up rivers and never, I mean, in my opinion, a lot of them never came down last summer. Um, so they stayed up there kind of out of commercial gear territory yeah. Um, you know, we're the only state that allows gill nets still, and we have a lot of shrimp trawling inside the estuary. Um, so that tears up a lot of live bottom. It's just, it's just a lot of, you know, yeah. carelessness going on with our resource. And then I don't know, man, I don't, but there's I don't know been what the answer is. But there's been a lot of citations, man. I mean, North Carolina oh, yeah. is somewhat of a sleeper, dude, but you guys have really thrown man, I wish I had that. I, I was a little ill-prepared for that. I could probably pull it up here in a bit, but uh, for the citations that we've had over the last couple of years, man, it's been really, really prominent and actually super uh, reassuring that, you know, it sounds like there's a really, really healthy live class of fish, Yeah, you know, living in. It's a destination to some extent, you know, for, for catching some really, really large, large trout. Yes, I mean, that, of course, has kind of helped me make this decision to go on and do my guide service, but I know that it could very well dry up, and we could have another, like, stun, and it could go away, but, you know, that lady that caught that 33-inch trout in Bellhaven that the biologist said was only five or six years old, that shows you that I don't know if it's evolution or what, or if it's just a ridiculous amount of bait that, that (laughs) that our fishery has, but it, you know, it can definitely produce some big fish. And, you know, I just always assumed it took 10, 10 years to grow a 10 pounder, yeah. you know? Uh, so it's, it's, it's awesome, but 
Yeah, that um, gene pool certainly there, it seems like. And what Stephen Brewster, he posted in the closed group on Facebook, you know, what a like a nine and a half pound fish or with a crappy in the mouth. What a, yeah, what a sockele <laughs> in the freaking mouth, man. It choked on it, died of natural causes. It's it's insane yep. that, you know, those large fish and you know, most people when they think of big, you know, trout, certainly um, you know, Florida, Texas kind of you know, Texas certainly comes to mind. Florida, yeah. you know, on in the Indian River and in the Ski Lagoon in that area, Guana Complex, stuff like that. But, you know, North Carolina has been solid, but, you know, North North Carolina and Virginia, as of late, last couple of years, man, has really been super relevant in terms of the trophy trout fishing scene because, man, you guys have posted some serious some serious numbers, man, some heavy hitters up there. Yeah. I'm not, my buddy Austin Weber, I think he's already yeah. got seven seven fish over 27 inches this year. And uh, crazy, one of my mentors, Mac Avery, he's been a guide for a long time, and he uh, he's been fishing like we do since the mid 80s. And he said, Josh, it just he said you better just lose sleep right now, buddy. He said because you might not ever see it like this again. Yeah, you know it is just it's pretty pretty good. Um, and like That's said, good I to think, hear. Yeah, That's it's really, really awesome to hear. to hear. You know, and, uh, you know it's hard to kind of talk about the other side of it but there is you know a dark yeah. other side that's that's run by money and and i don't know who our friends are man i mean i want to believe that we have some people in our best interest but when money's involved i just i don't know yeah. I, you know i want to preach conservation on my boat and you know you know help people see what i see um and i'm gonna go support you know, our state and go to meetings and try to voice my opinion. But, um, I really don't know what, what the answer is, man. I'm, yeah. I'm one of those people that's not very motivated by money. Probably shouldn't say that, but <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I, I'm a family guy. I want my, I want my family and my dogs to be happy and I'm not very motivated by money. And I just wish people could just stop being so freaking greedy, dude. Like that's just all kind of, <laughs> do what's best for everyone one time but i you know i know that's probably not going to happen so well it's going to be one side or the other and uh i think we have a i think we have a, a part in that and um i think we can certainly and it sounds like north carolina south carolina virginia and anglers are a little bit you know i probably say a large majority uh, again i don't live there but or a little bit more light years ahead of, you know, maybe some other fisheries in terms of like, you know, having basically catch and release and take what you need, release arrest and, and having a sustainable fishery and kind of doing their part. It sounds yeah. like, you know, that, that mentality is pretty set there, which is great, you know? And so if we can continue to have that, then hopefully we'll can, you guys will continue to have, you know, really, really banner years and then partner that with, the lack of cold, you know, weather events and things of that nature, it can hopefully be strong for some period of time and, and let that gene pool kind of take, take hold and, and kind of go from there. But yeah. yeah, I'm with you, man. I mean, a lot of people are out for themselves and that's unfortunate, but that's, that is the world we live in. And so to your original comment coming right in, it was just like, Hey man, the, we, we, we can only do what we can do. And, and if we can really put our best foot forward and, and control our own actions, that's really all that we can do, you know? And so, um, that's what I would encourage, not only yourself, but, you know, folks maybe listening to this is just continue doing what you do, uh, for the long-term benefit of a fishery. And I think at the end of it, uh, it'll be a really good thing. And, 
Yeah. You, you know, Texas anglers are coming around, Louisiana anglers are coming around, and hopefully, you know, we can start stemming a, and turning a tide there for yeah. different fisheries where we start to see that long-term sustainability kind of creeping a little bit more to the forefront as opposed to kind of the dock shop mentality and things of that nature, you know? So, and it's oh, not yeah. to say you can't keep them, right? We've always said that as kind of like a, a caveat, but, you know, it's just a take what you need, release the rest mentality. And if you can do that and that takes hold, I think it's only going to be a benefit to the resource, man. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know. Some people are just old fashioned. You go fishing and you just, you keep what you catch, you know, and it's, yeah, that's okay. And we, we know, and, and that's fine. That's, you know, but the, the ones of us that fish so much, mm-hmm. um, of course, it doesn't make sense for us to keep fish every time in a big limit, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. You know, we see the sports side of it. We see the, you know, what we talked about earlier, the release from life and stuff. And, some people is just fishing, man, and you know that's their right too. And I see that side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who's to say who's right and wrong here? But yeah, you know when we can see some people really abusing what we love, you know it makes us want to step in and and do something about it. You know, like yeah. just say have some kind of say. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean when the when the data is there and it's maybe presenting something that's clearly an issue and then politicians are turning their back and and not recognizing that or honoring that like clearly people are presenting that there's an issue here and that's that's that doesn't align with their agenda then that's where there could be an issue but man again that's not to get political here but that's where we'll start to see where people are in it for themselves but as long as we can continue to to take heed to that advice and do what's best for the fishery that's where i think uh that's all we can do you know and so that that's a good thing so but brother man we uh man i went quick didn't it yeah damn that was an hour already hell yeah hour and five brother but no um i know man and and i wanted i want to give you kind of last chance man to kind of close some thoughts but what I want to tell you, man, was I appreciate you being on the podcast. I really do, man. And, and opening up, you know, at least starting the conversation, uh, I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. It does with me because I share that sentiment of how much the fishery means not only to me as as a person, but it's molded me as a person. It It, yeah. it literally is the reason to some extent outside of my family why I live and it draws me closer. It makes, it brings out the best version of myself. And I think a lot of those people uh, maybe listening or, or maybe overcoming or going through some shit that they're going through. Hopefully um, it's that it means that to them. And so I appreciate you voicing that and bringing that to life, man, but I wish you the best brother in, sure, in all your endeavors, dude. I appreciate you having me on Chris. Um, I, I've kind of, you know, you know, touched base with and talked to some of the people through through social media because of the truth. And, you know, I appreciate y'all sharing my my photos and kind of getting my name out there, not because it's going to help me maybe sell a trip or two, but just because I want people to know that I'm just a normal guy that just loves to fish. And we're all just kind of, I've told you this before, man, we're just kind of a brotherhood of normal guys that have a common trend that we'd love to get out there on that water and push ourselves in a new way, you know, mm-hmm. and, and get away from life, you know, just get away from that grind, man, into another grind. And 
Yep. I, I just I'm I'm honored to be here, Chris, talking to you, man. I think you you and, and Kyle and, and Ed and the guys have started something really good and I'm just, you know, I'm excited to be just a small part of it, man, and, and to to share my story. If my story reaches anyone, then it was worth it. You know, I've yeah. already reached people with my testimony, you know, from being hurt. So if I can reach yeah. more people and and help then then it wasn't worth nothing and you know, it put me on a great path that I'm on now, man, and I'm I'm yeah. happy to be here. Never look back, my friend. Never look That's back. Right. Uh, never only doors open, are man. only doors are going to open, especially if you got a uh, a heart, man. That's in it for the right reasons, dude. Uh, yep. So stay true to those convictions, man, and, and move out. So, but I appreciate you, dude. Uh, hey, so, everyone, thanks so much for staying tuned and and listening uh, to this conversation with Josh, man. It was really awesome and. Uh, I truly encourage you to support our uh, podcast sponsors, right? I mean, they've really kind of made this thing tick from the start. And so from, you know, Custom Corky and Texas Custom Lures, Muir Lure, Real Sportswear, Stinky Pants Fishing, uh, Down South Lures, Hook and Bullet Sunglasses, Waterloo Rods. I mean, those are the brands, dude, that um, have really kind of stepped up and said, hey, Chris, you know, we'll support you. Um financially and and it's awesome and it's such a great thing because it's brands that we support and brands that we trust and owners and and guys that we really value um and so we've gotten to know and know who they are and so they they support that right and so hopefully that resonates with y'all and if you can show them some love i think they would really appreciate that they're trying to earn a living and doing their thing and and supporting us and so please show them some love but Uh, Until next time, guys, tight lines, God bless. Always remember, take what you need and release the rest. God bless.